y'all. How you doing? Welcome back. This is Keeping It Real with Gilly Sowers. So uh, in my last episode, I, I basically gave you my beginning story. And it's going to take a few episodes to probably catch you up to where I am now. But I do feel like it's important for you to get to know me. And so I'll continue to tell my story. And then once I have done that, then we can focus on some other topics and issues and maybe get to more of the entertainment aspect of things. So again, I'm coming to you from my office slash guest room in Louisville, Kentucky. It's been a rough and rocky couple days. Um, Anyway, so when we left off the last episode, I had just gotten divorced from my first husband and uh, I was 23 years old with two babies and was trying to figure it out. So I, with my newfound freedom, went back to uh, music, put a band together. Actually, I would spend the next 10 years with that band and um, we were pretty popular in the region. Uh, spent almost every weekend on the road playing to the detriment of my detriment of my poor kids who were raised by babysitters a lot in those early years. <clears throat> but I was single for a couple of years and then this older gentleman who was a sound man for uh, for one of the the bands that I it was my bass player's other band. They were wildly successful at that time. And he was a sound man and we got to be friends and developed a relationship. He was 20 years older than me. Um, I had been a struggling single mom for a couple of years and he came along and said, I love you and I wanna take care of you and your kids. And I think my reply was, okay. And so thus began the relationship. And we ended up living together for a couple years. Um, Not greatly compatible just because we work in completely different stages of our lives. Um, But he was a good guy. And I probably had more exposure to music and culture uh, by way of concerts. My God, we had fun. We went to so many concerts and museums and... Um, He opened my eyes to the fact that there was a whole nother world out there, you know And also the beauty of that time is that I didn't have to work as hard. I Was able to quit my job full-time I still sang with the band on weekends, but I was able to be at home with my kids during the week and that was lovely but we just were not compatible and things started to unravel Um, But as in most cases, especially when someone is young and trying to make things right, uh, we thought we'd get married, that that would fix everything. (laughs) When people ask me how many times I've been married or if I talk about my previous relationships, I really kind of skip over this one because we got married, but we were only married for three months before we got divorced. And so I don't really count it. I wish I would have known I wish I would have had the knowledge to have looked into getting it annulled or maybe the money to get that done. But anyway, it was a good chapter. You know, he was kind and funny and we did 
have so much fun. Um, it wasn't probably the best existence for my kids, who, although they did have me home with them during the week, they also kind of had this domineering older gentleman um, in their lives, and I'm not sure that they would have chosen that had they been given the choice. So anyway, I digress. So. Uh, moved on from this man and almost immediately would meet and become involved with the man who would become my next husband who I would spend 23 years of my life with and when I met him he had been a single dad for nine years with three kids I had my two kids he brought calm to me um, he was a good dad. He was laid back and easygoing. Um, and we married very quickly, throwing together a Brady Bunch of sorts in our kids. Uh, and as you can imagine, that first year was chaos because his kids had never even really known him to date anyone. And it was such a shock to everyone, you know, to everyone's systems. We didn't even know each other well enough um, until about the first year. But luckily, what we decided was that we did like each other and we did want to stay together. And we've had a great life together. Um, those early years were spent just getting by. We both worked hard. We were raising our kids. Um, I gave up the band. I don't know, a few years into the marriage, I guess. And I think that that was good for everybody. Um, those early years, I think, especially with me on the weekends out doing the band thing, which also still included the band lifestyle, you know, the hard party and the getting home when the birds are chirping. Um, but unlike before where my kids were, being raised by babysitters, I would leave them at home with him. And that wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to them. It wasn't fair to him. And I'm sure that he had resentment toward me for that. And I think that although he is a great guy, he is the kind of guy who won't say anything until he has a snootful. And then I think it could come out towards the kids. And I regret that. I made a lot of mistakes as a mom, and I have a lot of guilt over that, um, beginning with those early years where I got back into the band after I left their dad and left them a lot. And I was also, you know, it was, it came from the right place because I had grown up never feeling good enough or loved or wanted and felt like my mom was uber critical of me. I never wanted my kids to feel that way. So as a result, I became a codependent master enabler, you know? And it didn't do them any favors. And, and I'm sorry for that. I wish I would have been um, more of a disciplinarian. I wish I would have set the expectations and the bar higher for them. As a result, um, and I know that I have no control over, you know, at, at a certain point we're all responsible for our own shit, as I'm 
trying to tell you all about myself. Um, but both of my boys developed addictions in high school and, and spent many years struggling, you know? And so uh, in and out of jail, um, mental illnesses, the addictions, the lifestyle that came from that, um, it kind of put us in hell for a while. Well, what I discovered in looking back over the years that I was married um, and raising my family, especially in those, like the last 10 or 12 years of our marriage, I calmed because I didn't have the luxury of spinning out anymore because I was too busy taking care of everybody else and putting out little fires and being a people pleaser. And, you know, we raised the kids and then came the drugs and all the trouble. And so then I threw myself into that, into being, um, being the mother of addicts and all that come with it. And I, on social media and on a blog post, I address those things again, sharing my story and hopes to help others, but also crossing a line in oversharing maybe what wasn't mine to share. Uh, anyway, so my husband, my ex-husband now, uh, is a really great guy. He is. He's not perfect, but he's he's a wonderful man. and. He tolerated so much, you know, um, and he learned, you know, we, we still talk and, and we laugh about how he learned just to grab on and hold on for the ride when I got an idea or something that I was throwing myself into. Looking back now, that being an overachiever, a highly independent, always working on some big project, that was my way of processing and dealing with my emotions. So I raised kids and then I went through the hell with the kids. And then when that was over, um, about that time we bought some ground in the country and I threw myself into creating this dream house. And then when the house was done, I threw myself into making a micro farm and got goats and chickens and planted huge gardens and researched everything you could research about it. Uh, in the meantime, I was also travel nursing, so I would go off, um, usually working a few hours from home. I would go away and uh, do my shifts and then come home and frenzy myself on whatever project was going on, and then I'd go back to work again. And this is how we existed for many years. <coughs> so in my very first episode, I revealed to you when I had my epiphany, um, which was sitting on the beach sobbing because I realized that I could do anything I wanted to do that day, but I had absolutely no idea what that was. Well, what happened was when I accepted the contract in the Virgin Islands, I went there and I didn't have anything to do. I mean, I worked. And I laid on the beach or I spent time with friends, but I didn't have any projects to busy myself or to throw myself into to avoid being 
with me. And that was when my awakening happened. And so, uh, what I found ultimately is that I had not been happy for many years in my marriage. Nothing against him, just, you know, when we didn't have the family to raise anymore, when we didn't have all the little fires to put out and the things to tackle, I just found myself so unfulfilled. And it's not his fault, you know? He'd have given me the world on a silver platter had I asked for it. But I didn't know what I wanted because I hadn't asked myself for so long. And I think that by that time, I was already gone, you know? And I've faced a lot of guilt and shame over hurting him, over dismantling um, our family. But we just didn't have anything in common anymore. We just coexisted. We basically lived as roommates um, and best friends, you know, because ultimately we still were. We were best friends, but we just didn't really have anything in common. We just kind of coexisted in that house. So through the years, we had um, faced some trials with the kids, not only with mine, but also had become um, slightly estranged from his because um, during the time that my kids were going through the worst of the worst, his kids, his daughters primarily, decided that they didn't want my kids around, even at a holiday dinner, or um, they didn't want them around, the grandkids or them. And uh, that was tough because although my children were not being their best selves, they were still my kids. And it was such a rarity for us to have all five of the kids together at the same time that I couldn't understand why they couldn't just suck it up for a holiday dinner for a couple hours, you know? So, because my husband drew a line in the sand and said, well, if they can't come, then we're not coming. And I tried to convince him to go ahead and go, but he wouldn't anyway. um, But that was a wedge between us for years then after that, you know, because we didn't go visit the kids anymore. And they lived in different places in the country. And we didn't see the grandbabies very much. And it just left a void and a guilt within me because I knew that it was caused by me and my kids, you know. Um, There was a whole lot of just... The wounds had run so deep, I think, on both sides. Even though he and I were not the ones that necessarily caused them, that I just think we couldn't come back from that, you know? So before I ever went to the island, we went together to uh, Arizona, to the Navajo Reservation. That was the first far-off travel nurse gig that I had taken. since he had retired and he went with me for that first time 
And we got out to the reservation, and I think that was kind of the beginning of me realizing that, again, because we're in this place where there's not really anything to do, I don't have all the big projects that I could busy myself with on the farm, um, or anybody that needed caring for, and he was perfectly happy there in that little apartment to just kind of hang out and cook and watch TV and whatever but I I just remember screaming on the inside because I didn't feel like we had anything to talk about if that makes sense and uh, we would get out and do road trips on days off and that was about all there was and and I enjoyed my time with him in so many ways but it was just in those quiet still moments where we were together with nothing else where I just didn't know if I could do it and I don't think I realized that until much after the fact but that those thoughts had already entered my mind so I was on the Navajo reservation when COVID hit that's where we were and it hit hard and I remember telling my husband how lucky are we that we are out here in the middle of nowhere Arizona on the Indian reservation when this pandemic hits we're not even going to know this thing we're never going to see it and two weeks later the Navajo were dropping like flies it was awful we had very few resources we were a small freestanding ER out in the middle of nowhere. We didn't even have the ability to uh, admit patients and keep anybody inpatient in our hospital. And uh, everybody had to be flown. We didn't have enough ventilators. We didn't even have respiratory therapists there. We were the respiratory therapists. We delivered the babies. We did everything there. And we were so far in over our head and it was such a scary time because this thing had just hit and we had no idea what to expect from it. We had been seeing COVID patients probably for three or four weeks, honestly, before we even had a name for it. We would have these people that would come in like they had a real bad flu. Um, we, we'd test them for flu, it would be negative. We would just diagnose them with a flu-like illness, discharge them, and they might come back a few days later half dead so sick and we were transferring to hospitals but when COVID hit and everything was so overwhelming there were no hospitals with open beds and there were no planes and we didn't have masks or gowns I remember wiping down the same gown for three weeks and putting it on hanging on a nail outside a room and I would put it on and go into the room I wore the same N95 mask for probably three weeks. I finally threw that gown away when I had a shift where we had a couple of really horribly botched innovations by an unqualified physician. And they were so covered in blood that when I tried to wipe them down, it turned the white plastic orange. And that's when I threw it away. Um, whole families were coming in together there was one day it was uh, the husband and the wife, the husband's sister, their son, who was a 40-year-old security guard at the hospital, and his children. And they all came in together and they all had COVID. And the kids just had like flu symptoms. But I remember that we had to make the conscious decision of who is going to get the first ventilator, 
who's going to get the first plane because that's how critical uh, the parents and the sister all were and trying to find hospitals to accept them and the security guard did not need to be intubated but he was sick enough he needed to be in the hospital and that left his three children and I think they were there with us for 12 hours while we were trying to find family members that would come and get them. Nobody would come and get them because they had COVID and they didn't want to bring them into their home. Um, I think they finally shamed a great aunt or someone to come and get them. And she had a adult disabled child that she cared for. And one of the other family members would care for him so he wouldn't be exposed. And then the elderly great aunt came to pick these kids up and took them home. So this went on for weeks. COVID went on for weeks and it was mentally and physically exhausting. And I, we lived in an apartment just across the parking lot from the hospital and the, the whole hospital complex was very nice, but I would strip, literally strip on my balcony before I went into the house every day when I got off of work. When I came home for lunch, he would have something ready and set it out on the balcony or the little patio for me. And I would sit out there in the cold and eat um, and then throw the stuff away out there and then go back to work. And when I came home, we were just meticulous about not bringing it into the house. And I tried so hard to protect him. And we had made a pact with each other that should either of us come down sick, we would flee Arizona and go back to Illinois because after what I had seen and gone through as an ER nurse there with the Navajo, I knew that I couldn't protect him there and I couldn't get him the health care that he would need there if he got sick. He had several health conditions that would make him a prime target for a horrible outcome should he get COVID. And so all of this weight was bearing down on me, you know. I think the first panic attack I ever had in my whole life, or the first one I remember, was one morning before work and I was sitting out on the patio and I was drinking coffee and I was all wrapped in blankets because it was cold and I wanted to smoke a cigarette and I was mentally preparing myself to go to work that day. And I just had this overwhelming sense of dread and anxiety that came over me because I did not want to go. I didn't want to go. I couldn't I couldn't see any more death and destruction and just grief. And yes, the Navajo, uh, they were prime targets because uh, socioeconomically, they, they're poor, they live uh, kind of communal living. Many family members all live in small shacks. They have a lot of health conditions that they are pretty ignorant to. They're not involved really in their own health care. They're non-compliant. Uh, alcoholism, diabetes, high blood pressure that's not treated. These are all um, just rampant on the res, you know. And so it was exhausting. And I came down sick one day, it was a Sunday and I was on shift and I was just so exhausted and fatigued. And 
I don't know if I had COVID or not. They tested me that day at work and it was negative. And I just chalked it up to the mental exhaustion and fatigue that had come from everything and being run down. So I went home and I went to bed and I basically slept for like 12 hours and I woke up the next day and I felt fine. But four days later, Dan came down sick. And it about had to come from that because I was so meticulous not to bring it into the house after work that the only way he would have gotten it was just from laying in the bed next to me. That's all I know. I didn't have a cough or anything, but I think I just had a mild case and I gave it to him. So he came down sick on a Thursday and um, we ultimately decided early the next morning that we were going to flee the res. I had just extended my contract again and I still had another six weeks left on it and it's the only time I ever walked out of a contract like that. I emailed the director, um, told her that my husband was sick and I was sorry but I could not stay and we were on the road I think by 10 a.m. that day headed for home and we got home and we quarantined for 32 days. That trip home was It was so stressful because we knew that he had COVID, even though he hadn't been tested. We just knew. And so we were so meticulous to clean up behind ourselves. Like when we'd go to a bathroom or something like that at a gas station, all the dang rest areas were closed. So gas pump handles, bathrooms, everything that we touched, we Lysoled the shit out of before we left to try to protect everybody else. We were meticulous about that. We were so careful and we made the drive home. And um, and then we quarantined at home and, and we had great friends and neighbors who would bring us grocery drops in the driveway and uh, pick up feed for our animals. Uh, and we were blessed in the fact that he My husband's case of COVID, we we did ultimately leave the house. That's the only time in 32 days we did. We went to the health department and got tested, and I was negative, but he was positive, of course. But he was already getting over it. He just basically had bad flu symptoms for four or five days, and then the lingering fatigue that everyone has. So we were blessed in that. Um, Anyway, so during that time... um, one of my sons had come back to live with us and that started over our quarantine and that is why uh, we were in for 32 days. We had to do another two weeks. So at the end of that time, um, I needed to work and you couldn't find an ER gig anywhere. Everything was shut down. You know, if it wasn't COVID, that was basically it. And so I went to work at a local nursing home who had had their own losses with COVID. Uh, They were about the only place in three or four counties at home that had even seen it. Um, You know, and I remember, I thought we were gonna be faced with a lynch mob when we came back home because of the fear mongering and and people, I remember someone had posted on my Facebook that if, if COVID hits Cumberland County, it's because you brought it from the res. Like I remember. Uh, that and and so that's why we were just so careful but anyway I went down to work at the nursing home for a few months to help out because they 
had uh, lost a lot of staff and uh, couldn't get anybody to work there. Everybody was afraid and I had already worked with COVID so um, I was okay with it. So I went down there temporarily and uh, one evening we were sitting in the VFW as that was our entertainment, you know, that's what, that's what we did. <laughs> one or two nights a week we'd go to the V and have a couple beers and one evening we are sitting there and I get a FaceTime message from one of my buddies asking me what I'm doing for work. And I told him I was crushing pills for a living at the nursing home. And he said, you want to come to the Virgin Islands? Because that's where I am and I'm here on a COVID deployment. And he told me about the, the movie star life that they were living, which ironically was kind of true there and the good money. And um, they needed nurses. And so got off the video call with him and Dan and I talked about it right then and there and um, made the decision that it would be the best thing for the family for me to do that. Ultimately, it would probably be the demise <laughs> of the family, but um, I still have no regrets over going. But anyway, this was on a Thursday my buddy said, can you be here Saturday? And I said, no, but I can be there on Monday. And I was. And I signed a six-week contract, I believe, in the beginning. And um, I ended up staying down there for a year. So anyway, um, that catches you up to the island. Uh, and I think that that's a whole podcast in itself. Um, that's where I'm at. Okay. So, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with my story as I give you these details. This one was kind of uneventful, but uh, important. And um, so anyway, next time on Keeping It Real with Gilly Sowers. Take care. Mm-hmm.